Good morning, brethren. Please turn in your Bibles to the second epistle of our beloved Apostle Paul to his ministerial understudy, Timothy. Second Timothy, chapter 3. Second Timothy, chapter 3. I appreciate, and I hope you did, what our brother Jim spoke to us about last Sunday, about the reigning view of prophecy, the erroneous view of prophecy that so dominates our religious world today. It's a shame that they don't even know about this prophecy, and it's one of the most important prophecies that the Lord has. Here we have, in chapter 3, the declension, the decline, the destruction of biblical Christianity foretold, which we have been living through. We're not going to go over that today. But if you look down at the very beginning of chapter 4, we see where Paul gives us a solution for this problem. And that is what we want to look at and consider today. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach. The word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Amen. <clears throat> this is the state of Christian religion today in our country. Let's look at this very briefly to open up and to set the context for what we'll be doing in the first service. Notice, again, this is Timothy. This is the man that the Apostle Paul, our great exemplar, as far as what a minister should be, this is the man that he thought the most of, that he said there was no man that was like him in his dedication and his zeal and his love for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the Lord's people. To him, he says, based on this prophecy, based on the fact that biblical Christianity will come to a day when it will decline, when it won't be what it should be, he told him, I charge thee, Therefore, because of this declension of Christianity, I charge thee before God. Think about the witnesses he's bringing to bear on this. How would you like to receive a charge like this, brethren? Our pastor has received this charge. Any good minister, this is a charge that he has to stand and hold himself against. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What Jesus Christ? The one who shall judge the quick and the dead right. at his coming, at his appearing, and his kingdom. Think about the first couple of chapters of the book of Revelation. That's a scary prospect. With that charge, he says, preach the word. Amen. He doesn't say entertain. He doesn't say give nice homilies. He says, preach the word. Be instant. That word instant in this case means to be pressing, insistent, in season and out of season. 
We've got a lot of hunters in this congregation. You know what it means to be in season, right? That's hunting when it's appropriate and when you get a license to do it. And it's acceptable for you to hunt. Out of season is when it's not acceptable to hunt. A good minister, his charge is to preach whether his people are willing and accepting or whether they're not wanting to. He still is commanded to preach the word. And preach it how? Pressing, insistently. How does he do this? Reprove, rebuke, exhort. To reprove is to criticize or to correct. Generally, gently. So kind of gently correcting. Rebuke. That's the next level up. That's to express sharp and stern disapproval of. And then what is exhort? It's to urge, to advise or caution earnestly, to admonish urgently. Are you starting to get the picture here that's being painted? A gospel minister is not someone who comes up with a wonderful toothy smile and strokes us about how wonderful we all are. Oh, and what a wonderful thing it is to be in this place today. The true man of God is there to point out, brethren, we've got moats in our eyes. Oh yeah, they may be small little moats, but they're moats nonetheless. And we need to get them out of our eyes. We have a charge before us to live for the great king who redeemed us. We have sin in our lives. Sin is not a minor thing. Sin is an important, major, God hates sin. Do I need to say any more than that? If our God hates sin, we ought to hate the sin. And we want to get rid of it. And he has to do this how? With all long-suffering and doctrine. What's the long-suffering involved there? That's his having to put up with us saying, Pastor, do you have to be so hard? Pastor, can't you be a little easier on us? Do you always have to point out where I'm wrong? Yes. Are you in heaven yet? That's when we're going to be perfect, right? In the resurrection, we will be perfected. We won't have to worry about that in eternity. But right now, we've got, I've got a whole lot of imperfections that need to be corrected. And the only way they can be corrected is when some man's up there saying, Newell, look at that. What are you doing about that? What about this area over here? Have you forgotten this one over here we talked about years ago? That's a gospel ministry. And what's the basis of that? It's not his whim. It's not his best idea. It's not the ministerial association's listing for this month. It's doctrine. It's this book. What the Lord has said. Why? Because time is coming when they're not going to endure sound doctrine. When people want their lusts addressed in a kindly way, in a nice way. They want to endure sound doctrine after their own lusts. They'll heap to themselves all sorts of teachers. They'll want their ears tickled. They'll want their ears, you know, smoothed down. And they'll turn away their hearing, their ears, from the truth. And they'll be turned into fables. Brethren, we're here today because we don't want fables. 
We want to hear what the word of God has to say to our lives. We're here because the Lord has redeemed us, and we want to live for him. Brethren, this is one of the most important subjects that you and our church can consider. You say, Brother Newell, is that more important than Jesus Christ? No, Jesus Christ is the center of everything. But let me remind you, what do we call ourselves? We call ourselves Bible Baptists, right? Bible Baptists. Why do we do that? Well, there's all sorts of Jesuses talked about in this world. How do we know what the right one is? How do we know the right way to approach the right Jesus? The only way we know the right Jesus and how to approach him is in this book. This is the book that tells us about Jesus Christ. Sin, God's grace, eternal life, heaven, church membership, how I should love my wife, how I should work on the job. Everything's in this book. So without the book, we don't have Jesus Christ. So we've got to make sure we have the book. But that leads to one more little question that we've got to think about. Is this book a nice little checklist of doctrine? Is this a nice, simple little uh, list of church practices and aphorisms for how we should live our life? I mean, I turn to page 59, and it tells me on January the 26th, this is what I should be doing. No, it's not. This book can be confusing. It's got parts that are dark and difficult to be understood. It's got some things that, quite frankly, are kind of tedious to have to read and try to figure them out. How do we figure them out? What do we do? Where do we go? We have to be just like that Ethiopian eunuch. Do you remember him in Acts chapter 8? In Acts chapter 8, he's got the Bible. He's got a copy of the scrolls of Isaiah, and he's sitting there reading them after having been to the temple in Jerusalem. And he's reading them, and they're not making a lot of sense. And the Lord sends along Philip, and Philip comes up to him and says, Understandest what thou readest? He says, How can I understand? But some man guide me. That is what the ministry is for, brethren. The ministry is to be that guide. The minister is to be the one who understands God's word because he's been called by God to that task. He's been equipped by God to that task. He spends his time, just like you and I spend our time going out to earn our living so we can survive. He spends his time in this book to find those dark sayings and to make them plain. To find out what are the priorities that we should have. He spends diligent and long study. Then he preaches to us. He teaches us how to apply this word to our lives. And then he enforces it. He watches us. He cares for us. And he will remind us when we personally are slipping when we're not doing that. Brethren, that's why this is so important. <clears throat> Back in December the 28th of 2003, our brother preached two sermons, one in the morning, one in the evening, one called Rude Preachers, another one called Instant Preaching. That's a lot of material. I would hardly suggest you take some time and go back and look at those outlines and you study them. 
I won't be dealing with the second instant preaching. We'll be talking about rude preachers in our service this morning. As a member of the Church of Greenville, who's been here since its beginning, I can testify that this material is what our congregation has believed and been taught since its beginning. And those of us who've been around long enough understand why I say that. Because there came a time, not at the beginning, but towards the middle of our existence, where people were questioning that and say, well, this sounds new to me. Well, I don't want anybody in this room to come up with that crazy idea. This is what we have been taught from day one. This is what we practiced from day one. This is the, I'll be honest, brethren, there's a lot of Baptist churches in Greenville. I wouldn't even consider any of them because I don't think any of them understand this important point. I pray God's blessing on them and that the Lord would show them his truth and they would be blessed according as they practice it. But I know of nobody else in our community, and that's where I live. I'm here. This is what I believe the scriptures teach. This is what I have been taught in this church. And this is what we, by God's grace, will continue to do. You young men, I'm of a particular generation. I'm of the exact same generation as our pastor. There's a number of us who are of that generation. If the Lord tarries and lets us come home by way of death and not by way of him taking us up to, at his great judgment day. If that day is a few more years away from us, you need to know these things. You need to understand this because you need to know how to identify a man who is preaching God's word the way the Bible says it should be. How can I defend and assist that man who is preaching God's word the way that God said it should be preached? May God help us May we pay rapt attention to his truth. You know, New Leesland's nobody. But this is the truth of Jesus Christ. So let us pray that he would help us this day, that we can be reminded or learn this lesson and be prepared for what he has for us in the future. Most, most gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity, as we've said in our prayer meeting this morning, the wonderful opportunity we have to be with you this day, Lord. Father, we thank you for what you are sending to us this day. Whether it be this message or the message that we'll be hearing in our second service about Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to serve him. We want to live for him. We want him to be lifted up and magnified in our midst. Bless us, Lord, that this will be the case. Help our minds, Lord, that we can wrap ourselves around this subject and that we can hold fast to it after we've understood it well. Forgive us for our sins, Lord. Lord, you are so good. We do not deserve what you've done for us. We do not deserve to be in a place like this. But, Father, you've called us. You've been merciful to us and good to us to bring us here. And so, Lord, we want to ring every bit of, of gospel truth we can out of it this day. And we want Jesus Christ to be lifted up and magnified. And it's in his name, Father, we ask these things. Amen.